0: All right, here we go. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Never Stop Getting a podcast. Today, we have two special guests joining us via the Never Stop Getting a Hotline. First, we have Sadie Raymond, co author of the book 121 Days The Corbin Raymond Story. And she's a woman that had to go through something that no parent should ever have to endure. And then we have Corbin Raymond, a man that beat all odds, to say the least. So, with that being said, Sadie and Corbin, Thank you for being on the show, and how are you guys doing today?
1: We're great. Thanks good for having us. Ahead.
0: Yeah. All right. So you guys have such an inspirational story to share with a lot of people. I, I think we should just dive into that. Tell us all about the book. Tell us, uh, you know, unfortunately, the events that went that happened, but the good that came out of it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, unfortunately, um, we lived the book. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's just basically our journey about Corbin's accident. Corbin was 16 and was in a terrible car accident and was not supposed to survive. Um, and even until he was in a coma for about a month and a half. And, um, Hmm. even at that point they thought that he would never wake up and he was just going to probably have to be, uh, in a bed the rest of his life. Um, not speaking or anything. Um, So we, we took that whole experience and turned it into a book. Hopefully, uh, I have never wrote a book before. It wasn't, it wasn't the intention whatsoever, but, um, during this whole horrible, um, incident, I found a website called caring bridge and I had so many people reaching out to me all the time that I just couldn't update everybody. My, my priority was being with Corbin and, um, so, this great website, you can write updates and people can follow it. So, every time you write, they get an email with an update. And so, it, that's how I just kept people updated. Um, and it, we had all kinds of people saying, You have to turn this into a book and whatnot. So, um, we did.
2: <laughs> I mean, that is uh, inspirational in itself. But, um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of this is dealt with in the book, but just. Uh, if if you will take us through the sort of initial moments of uh, of of knowing that Corbin was in an accident and it was very serious, I mean, how, how, you know, take us through how that felt for you.
1: Yeah, so probably the first hour um, at the time I was going to school for nursing and I was bartending as well. Uh, it was Fourth of July, two thousand eighteen, and uh, the kids were kind of getting older and they made their own plans. So I took a double shift at work uh, and we had just opened and um, I got a phone call. I didn't recognize, didn't recognize the number. Turns out um, it was my sister-in-law, but I got a call saying that my nephew had been in a really bad car accident and it was close to where I was working um, about a five minute drive from where I was working. So I just, I ran out the door. um, And my thought was, My nephew, Tana, Corbin was supposed to be with Tana that day. Hmm. And they were going to float down the river, um, you know, hot summer day. And, you know, of course, I'm worried about my nephew. But then I'm thinking, well, was Corbin in the car um, as well? Had he picked him up yet? And I I don't know anything. Um, I really didn't get many details. There was an app my brother had on my nephew's phone called Life360. And basically, they only knew about the accident because the app notified them. And noticed, they called the police. They did everything. But um, so we had no details. So I just I just got in my car and drove to the street and I didn't know what I was going to find. But um finally got to the scene and I was coming around the corner and it's it's in our town. We've lived in, you know, I've lived in my whole life, basically. Um, and the road is tar, but all of a sudden it looked like it was dirt. And I and I was I remember just feeling confused Um, almost like I didn't know where I was. And then we came around the, I came around the corner a little more. And, um, there was police, you know, stopping traffic and there was ambulances. And I saw this car, um, still on its side up against a tree. Um, and you know, this whole time I'm frantic. I'm calling my daughter who was home at the time, trying to see if Corbin was home. I don't, I don't know anything. So I, I don't even know. I put my car in park. I don't think I shut it off. And I just ran up to the the policeman. And, um, I said that my nephew was in that accident and he confirmed that he was, and that he was actually in the ambulance that was still on the scene. Um, and I said, well, what about my son? I said, my son, um, Corbin Raymond, I think that he's, he might've been with them. And he said, he was, I said, well, you know, where is he and how is he? And he said, um, another ambulance already took him and he was alive when they left.
0: Wow. And so that's not
1: a real, yeah, <laughs> not a real reassuring thing right. to say to a mom.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was crazy. We went to, you know, of course we rushed to the hospital. Um, and my brother, so funny on the way there, my brother ended up right behind me. Both of us flying down the street. I don't know how we didn't get pulled over, but um, we got to the hospital and there was basically there's no information. Um, they said that he was, you know, severely injured. What happened was these boys were driving down the road, going way too fast. There was no other cars involved, and uh, the kid that was driving hit a corner that he didn't expect coming and lost control of the car, flipped multiple times. um, And that car landed up against a tree. Corbin was um, in the back seat behind the driver and that's right where the impact hit. Mm. So the other three boys came away with a few scratches um, and Corbin was, you know, severe. Um, So yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy.
2: Yeah, well, that must have been very telling uh, for you about, A, it's wonderful and um, you must have been to some degree ecstatic about Corbin still being alive and that was what the police officer said. But when he or she didn't say anything else to you, that must have said something to you. What, what he or she didn't say to you was also very telling about what was going on. So that must have been so conflicting for you. To be able to know, A, all right, Corbin's alive, but B, clearly something is serious, but yet I don't even know what it is at this point.
1: I really try to convince myself that he probably had a broken leg or, um, you know, a concussion or, you know, I try to convince myself, you know, it's, I don't know, if you have children, I feel like it's always a, not my kid, not right. me. Yeah, right, right. Doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's just, I kept convincing myself and they, we all got to the hospital. Um, my brother and his wife and my mom, and they basically just stuck us in a family room. Um, and they didn't tell us anything. Mm. Um, so Mm. we, we knew nothing. And I remember there was kids in the waiting room that I recognized that were friends of Corbin and they were all standing there crying. And I was, I felt so out of the loop. Um, turned out they were children that were supposed to be, you know, on this tubing trip during the day. and, And they had gotten more information um and then we sat in that room for I don't know how long and then a nurse came in and asked um you know for me and she she says okay I'm gonna bring you in to see him now like I said I still don't know if this is a broken leg or if he's still alive um and I remember she grabbed me and she kind of like she put her arm under mine like she was supporting me like I was gonna fall down and I was I was sort of confused about that but she brought me into this she sat a chair right outside of um the emergent the room that he was in in the emergency room and he was laying on this table and he was naked and bloody and you know any parents literally worst nightmare um i still I still knew nothing they still I didn't know what was going on um there was blood everywhere I saw I mean there was probably twenty people in the room going a hundred directions
2: I mean so, like you said <clears throat> oh I was gonna say well, like go you said, like you said parents worst nightmare right there and everything that was going through your head it must have been like so hard to see because at that point you were you know you thought maybe it's a broken leg you thought something a little bit better than that and yet you're now faced with something that is dire and so that must have been tough to see
1: yeah it was extremely tough and I just Nobody said anything, you know, that nurse sat me down and she walked away and, and I just, all of the nurses and everybody running around, I, they just kept looking at me with this, you know, horrible, sad face. And I was just, you know, obviously I knew how bad it was, um, or I thought it, um, and then just like that, she grabbed me and she walked me back to the room and she said, a surgeon will be in to talk to me shortly. Um, not long after that, a surgeon came in and said, you know, kind of explained that he had a ton of injuries, Um, but the most severe was head trauma. And at the time, you know, they weren't getting a whole lot of um, reflexes out of him, a lot of, you know, which would show brain activity. Um, So they said that, you know, while he was in that room, they were just trying to get him stable enough to go in for surgery. And she warned me that he might not survive surgery. And she said that most likely they'll have to take a portion of his skull off for the brain swelling. Um, And, you know, ask my permission, of course. Of course, it was yes. Um, yeah, so then he went into this surgery. That was I don't know two, two or three hours. A really, really long surgery. And by that point, we had probably had thirty or forty people gathered.
0: Right. You know, just waiting here. I was just, I was just curious oh. if uh, Corbin had any recollection of what happened up until this point. Right.
3: I was sitting in the car, and that's about it.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's tough.
1: He was in the car for, I mean, he was in the car for at least five minutes, you know, and he remembers getting in the vehicle and shutting the door and that's it. Like no, yeah, no recollection of like how fast they were driving or, you know, if it was what they were saying or why they were driving, like no recollection of anything.
4: And and I think that's, that's what the, the the point of the the book is, is there's, Actually, two separate whole things going on. Your your understanding or trying to learn and trying to help, right, and, and advocate for your son, and then your son trying to come out of this. And, and you know, obviously, he's feeling a certain way. And I mean, it, it's truly, truly amazing. Um, and, and and it is a story of a persever- perseverance on your part to to advocate for because. I'll be honest with you, as a parent, and I am a parent, when you go in there, you're like, the doctor's okay, whatever you tell me. But at some point, you need to stand up and go, no, 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 no. What? Tell me what's happening. Let's do this. Let's do this. So at what point did you finally um, transition into that kind of phase where you were like, Okay, I I need to 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 get some more answers cuz it it's very difficult, right? You you're like, okay, they'll they'll come over and they'll talk to me. Well, maybe they won't sometimes because they don't know how to to be like, hey, your son is severely injured and and like that that's a scary moment, but you want to know it, right? You you want you rather know than not know. So Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, those I
1: mean, that's it's not my personality to sit back and wait, especially when it comes to my children. Right. Um no, not at all. But, um, you know, they were busy trying to keep him alive, but that moment when that happened for me, um, he got out of surgery mm-hmm. and the doctor came out and said, um, we're going to wheel him by, but we'd like you to stay out here and like in this waiting room. And we don't really want you to look at him. Basically, right. They didn't want me to. See him. And so my instant thought was, well, he's alive. He survived the surgery. So that's like, great. So now what do we do next? What is the next step? And luckily um, we had a cousin there who used to work at Boston children's hospital. And so he just had a lot more knowledge about those things. And Mm -hmm. he was saying to me this whole time while he was in surgery, he said, if he if he survives this, he needs to be transported to a level one trauma center. He can't stay here. Um, You know, our hospitals in Concord, New Hampshire, it's, you know, it's, it's big for our state, but it's not on any level, um, you know, that we have in Boston, but so luckily we had that. Um, I had him helping me with all of this because I didn't, as much as I wanted to, like, I think you said, a doctor says to you, this is what it is. And you say, well, you're a lot smarter than me. This is what you do. And you listen to them. (laughs) Um, he was, luckily I had him, you know, in my ear saying, no, like he's got to go, he's got to get out of here if he's alive. And, um, so next thing you know are waiting and that's my next I'm like, okay we're going to get him out you know I'm just I'm planning ahead and thinking of the next steps and um the surgeon came out and the neurosurgeon came out and basically Corbin's dad had just gotten there so there's some commotion in the room like I said there was a lot of us and um you know, the doctor was trying to get everybody's attention and talk and you know the neurosurgeon just kind of took over and said has got zero brain activity. You need to gather anybody that needs to say goodbye to him and say goodbye to him.
4: Oh.
1: Um, so, you know, the room went crazy. And I remember sitting there. I remember my mom saying she's in shock um, because I just I was sitting there and I had two of my other kids with me. And, you know, and I'm just I'm consoling them. But I was I was holding it together because I was like. I was not going to accept it. It was just, it was not going to happen. That is not, it's like, it's not allowed. And um, so the surgeon came over and she was, you know, kneeling beside me and trying to hold my hand and talk to me. And I said, um, I want him out of here. I want him airlifted to Boston. Yeah. You know, and it was, no, we can do this. Like, this is what we do. We have, you know, we have the ability to do this and it's really hard. You can't always get in and they don't always take you and all of these things. And I said, no, that like, no, you're not. You're not telling me this. We're doing it until y'all have a doctor on the phone that says that they won't take him. I'm not giving this up. Um, so that was that was that moment. <laughs> yeah.
2: That must have been one of the, that, if not the hardest thing that you've ever had to deal with at the at because you when you're faced with that kind of decision and the reality of the situation that somebody, a doctor, neurosurgeon, is telling you and part of you wants to say okay for the for the good of everyone the 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 family and for corbin and for moving forward and and not having a situation that you don't want a- afterward you know maybe maybe it would be best to to let go at this point but for you at that moment to say i'm not giving up i want to see the best of the world in boston right now airlift him now that's my that's my decision that was so courageous f- for you to do that and i mean what do you contri- what do you think contributed to having that in your in in your in your personality that would would want you to move forward with that kind of courageousness.
1: Well, I think number one is my kids are my whole world. I mm. mean, and I think that they are to I you know to most parents, but um, no parent wants to be told that their you know their child is dying um, and they have to say goodbye to them. Um, I just yeah, if he was alive, I wasn't giving up. Right. Right. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. And, you know, and I, and I didn't stop. They eventually let, um, Corbin's dad and I in the room while he was in ICU after surgery. Um, and it was horrific, a a horrific sight. Um, but you know, I kept, I kept, you know, the doctor kept coming in and checking and I was like, have you got on the phone with them? Have you called them yet? Have you got any answer yet? You know? And, um, the stars just aligned that day. Um, you know, the, the med flight that came, there was no helicopters available in all of new England. Um, <laughs> they were trying to send one from, I think Maine or Vermont. Um, and it was going to take hours and hours. And then it just so happened that this one flight, um, I can't remember where they are from, if it was Worcester, but they were, they were from mass and whatever they were doing got canceled right. and they were able to come. Um, and they got there quick and they, you know, and they didn't think Corbin was even stable enough to travel, um, to be transported, but I would have rather have lost him trying to get him transported to better
2: Exactly. To just
1: accepted. Um, Absolutely. it
3: wasn't,
1: yeah. So, you know, Corbin, he, they told us he almost died in the an ambulance on the way to the first hospital. And then when I said stars aligned, they, um, they had a medic on this plane, um, that, and they, this special type of medic is he, they only carry blood on these flights, um, when they're on board and this one just happened to have one oh. and he lost so much blood. I think they said he's had like at least 80% of his blood transfused through this whole process. Um, and he was losing so much blood at that time, um, that they used all of it and they almost lost him on the way to Boston. And as soon as they got to Boston, he went directly to another surgery. Wow.
4: Oh. Now, now, I I mean, there's so many avenues and we only have so much time, but, and I'd like to complete Corbin, what is your first memory? And I know your mom was talking about, you know, getting in the car and all that. What's your first memory on, on the flip side of that? Like, do you remember, obviously you don't remember any of this part of it, but what, what, what's your first memory coming, coming to, I guess, if the if that's the word to use.
3: I feel like the first memory I have is I was laying in the bed and my little brother was in the room and he had this like, uh, like one of those little stress balls.
4: Yeah.
3: He I like tossed it to me and I like tried to reach it and grab it and throw it back to him. I could barely move, but yeah. that's like the first memory I have.
4: And, and what was that a, a significant moment for your family that it was that, do you remember that mom as, as being something like, um, oh, oh my God. like. <laughs> Like he's ready 100%. To, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. This, you know, this the fight I battled that I battled even at children's, which they were, they were great. As soon as they got there, like, we're not giving up. We're, we're with you. We uh we right. will keep, alive. we're going to try as best we can to keep him alive. Um, and then, you know, he came off the sedation. He started to wake up and open his eyes. And, um, even at that point they said to me, you know, we had this big, they had this big meeting with all the different teams that come in. Cause he had the team of doctors was just insane. Um, they basically said, we think that he's going to be bedridden the rest of his life. You know, you hear the term "a vegetable, like you don't, you're not going to wake up. You can't speak. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you're, you're on a breathing machine and you're on a feeding tube. And, and that was still like, he was just barely starting to open his eyes a little bit, but he'd been off sedation and, um, they said to me and I just I fought it and fought it um they told me where I should go visit for him to go next um and I didn't I chose Spalding because I did a lot of research mm-hmm. and I they wouldn't call spot Spau- like they were like yeah like he's he just doesn't qualify because you have to actively participate in therapy with Spalding and uh so I got myself an uber and I went over to Spalding and I begged them and um they accepted him which is amazing so he would gotten moved to another floor out of ICU. He was awake, and he had started um, kind of like blinking his eyes when we would speak to him. Yeah. That was his communication. Um, and so we were just we were just waiting for a room to open up at Spalding. This was end of August. Accident was July fourth. And so when he ever his little brother threw him this ball, he grabbed it like he slowly, like just kind of with his fingers, and he grabbed it and he twisted his respect kind of, and just tossed it back. And I remember um, the doctor overseeing everything said, you have no idea how much brain activity that takes. Wow. It's not, like, this is not, we're not going to be like that. Like, this is, like, that is the biggest sign ever.
2: Right. That must have been an incredible moment for you uh, because you had the journey, you know, to get to that point. Everything that you had gone through from the initial accident to the hospital, the original hospitals to Boston Children's, which uh, I'm familiar with Boston Children's because somebody I work with had a son, um, eight years old, who needed a heart transplant. And he now is 24 years old mm. after a heart transplant at Children's Hospital. And they do amazing things, again, the best in the world. So your decision to do that, I'm sure you're looking back and saying that that was. Something that I, I will um, always remember as one of the best decisions in my life uh, to, to, you know, to bring them there. And then the the journey, uh, you mentioned it up front, uh, but, you know, the journey must have been so difficult and the support group. And, and again, I, I heard you say that so many people wanted to reach out, support, help and be there for you. Uh, family, friends and, and managing it all because you're managing so much of your life at that point. And you're using, you know, you're using some communication tools. I think you mentioned, a, a, an app there, but how, how much, how important was it during that time for you to have that support from family and friends to, to really keep you strong through all of that journey?
1: It was incredible. Um, I have always been kind of a quiet, private person. Um, I didn't have social media at the time—Facebook um, or any of those. I didn't have any of that. I just, you know, I like my quiet life and, you know, my my keeping to myself. And um, so, but it just—the people—the outpouring was crazy. By the time he left Children's, the Caring Bridge post that I was doing had over like three hundred and fifty thousand followers. No. And I was blown away. I don't, I don't know most of these people. I don't know where they came from, but people shared it. Um, And I think when I look back now, I didn't realize it at the time, Um, but I think it was therapeutic for me to, you know, at the end of the day when I'd get a quiet moment, which didn't happen a lot in the first month or so, but I would always, you know, be two or three o'clock in the morning and I slept in the ICU room every single night that he was there. Um, I wanted to be involved in anything. I, everything they were doing, I knew to have to, you know, Suction, I know how to do everything. Um, but I think, like I said, when I look back, I think that that time that I took writing about it mm. uh, was really therapeutic for me. Um, and the, the outpouring was of support was, it was mind-blowing to me. I just, you know, I never, family and friends, absolutely, but, you know, people, strangers. Um, and, you know, I had so many people reach out that I didn't know that said, this happened to me.
3: Hmm. And
1: this was the outcome. I just, you know, I want to fast forward, like, where are we going to go? Right. Uh, where is we going to be? And so to hear stories of success stories, you know, kids that came out, okay. Um, they reached out to me and those kept me going. Um, and I think ultimately that's the whole reason that I did the book and that, you know, why we've done a lot of public speaking at high schools and things like that. And That meant so much to me. You know, in the worst time of my life, that I try to do it whenever I can. I talk to people at least a few times a month from all different states that have a loved one that something's gone through. Right. You know, they've, they're in some sort of similar situation. And so I just feel like it's really just giving back. And,
4: and, and Corbin, just uh, obviously you're hearing how much the support and, and, and everything helped your mom, how much, how much that, and and, and we've done a a lot of uh, guests on this podcast where we've talked to people with different um, uh, injuries and and whatnot. And and I think the the abilities and and the most important thing that I've gathered out of all these meetings is, is how important the support is. And, And people don't realize that like Take, take an hour out of your day and call your buddy and be like, hey, just checking in on you. How, how much, Corbin, do you, do you appreciate and remember as far as pushing you to, to get to the point where you are today?
3: Oh, It was massive. Yeah. I thought,
1: parade home. How about your parade? Yeah, I was going to
3: say, like the parade home, the visits I get all the time, yeah. friends I barely even spoke to at the time. But they come to see me and just hang out with me. Yep. So it's amazing. Yeah, I feel like it's a massive part of my recovery too. Yeah,
4: and, and your and your mom's gonna be there. And and I I I don't mean to say take advantage. Like you you take that for granted. But to see other people that don't necessarily need to be there, right? Your mom, like I'm a parent, I, I need to be there. In our eyes, we need to be there, and doesn't matter. We don't have to be, but we need to be there. But when you see other people, your friends or your, your, your you know a distant cousin or or a friend that you know from sixth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever, like you're saying, any little thing it just keeps motivating you, and and that's what I. That's the kind of the stories that I've heard, and and. and I think that's much appreciated and helps you. It does it not.
3: Oh, it does. hundred percent.
4: Awesome.
3: Master. Yeah. For
1: sure. Yeah. I mean, we, if you think about, you know, we're, we're about an hour and 20 minutes from Boston. Right. And so we have, you know, it's summertime. So Corbin was going into his senior year. Um, but we have, we have a life. I have four children. Corbin's my oldest. Um, you know, I have a job. We have bills to pay and, everything stops, right. You know, we have animals at home, um, and everything just stops. And, you know, people came in and took care of my children. Yes. I had a two-year-old at the time, um, wow. you know, back and forth. Um, and they would bring him to Boston so I could see him a couple times a week because I wasn't leaving that room. Right. I mean, I think it was probably three or four days in and they're like, you need to go take a shower. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I can't, like, I can't, what if I went to shower in something? something. Yeah, right.
2: Right. Yeah, right. yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah. it be worth it. <laughs> um, but all of those people like like I said, the much the close family and stuff that came and took care of my animals for me and you know, took over my bills and in the, the donations, like they they paid our bills for us while this was happening so that I could stay there, you know, and take care of him.
2: Right. It makes you it makes you believe in humanity again. And, you know, in in the life we live in today, when we see so much uh, difficulty out there, troubles out there with, uh, you know, so many stories of 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 problems and of uh, crime and of, you know, social media issues getting the best of us when you when you can. Trust in humanity again, like that, and it pulls through for you. You know, again, that's that that's a great part of the story, and I'm sure that helped in, in your therapy, and with with both of you, whether it's uh whether it's you, Corbin, or you, Sadie, I'm sure that was a, a big part of what pulled you through. You know, such a difficult time, but you and you mentioned Spalding rehab. And you know, Children's Hospital, obviously famous, well known. They're among the best in the world. Spalding Rehab, right? They they also have an incredible reputation. So, how was that uh, whole experience at Spalding, and and how much was was Spalding, and, and because you you pushed for that that rehab facility, how much was that a part of how you were able to rehabilitate after the accident?
1: Oh, it's huge. Um- <laughs> think that, you know, I, I was my first thought when you said that was, you know, they're, I've said before, they're literally miracle workers, um, mm. but they both are. I was going to say Spalding is, but Children's was also, um, right. you know, they kept him alive. And um, I I did my research and I had researched rehab hospitals all over the country um, and I didn't care. I was looking for apartments. Also, I was moving. I was <laughs> it, I wasn't stopping. And so um Spaulding was so close, you know. Um, so. Like I said, I went there and it's small, I think it's 11 or 12 beds on the pediatric floor. So getting a room, um, because people come from all over for that also uh, was difficult. Um, And I, you know, I just, I pleaded my case. I went there in person and just, I begged. Um, And we were there, I think they have family meetings, both hospitals where you you take all the teams and all the therapists, all the doctors, uh, the parents. Um, They had this family meeting so mind you, first of all, when Corbin went to Spalding, Corbin was on a breathing machine. He um, had a feeding tube. Corbin could not speak. He could not walk. Um, he would open his eyes, and like I said, he just started doing that ball, like tossing, moving his wrist to toss the ball. But Corbin was, you know, he was completely immobile. Um, and probably I can't remember the exact time frame. At two, two weeks in, you know, they would leave Losing using a lift to get him from um, his bed into a wheelchair to try to get him to do things, um, but they don't stop. Like there is there is no rest. They, all the therapists, three therapists come in, you know, OT, PT speech, and they work with them every day. And they wow. pushed him and pushed him. A few weeks in, they brought us in for this meeting and they said, you know, this is our projection. And they said, we think within a couple months he will walk out of here talking, eating, maybe some assistance, like some sort of walker or a cane at first, but we think that we're going to get him out of here just like that.
0: Wow. Well, that, 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 like yeah,
2: that must have been so encouraging for you. Yeah.
1: It was, it was the shock feeling almost like when they say your, your child's not going to make it, but on the other end of it, you know, right. the really positive end of the yeah, night, Right. You know, these guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you're going to, you're going to you know, work these miracles in two months. Um, it was about two and a half months, but they were right. He uh, they did everything with him and uh, Corbin did everything. He learned how to walk again, how to talk, how to eat. you know it starts with taking little sips of water. Um, he had to relearn everything. Yeah. Uh, but he did he walked out.
4: Now now Corbin, did you realize you were relearning? like you know what I mean? like I don't take, take us through that pro- Did you realize that you could do that one day? Now you can't, for some reason, you can't do exactly what, like if somebody says walk, you can't get up and walk. You had to relearn how to do, and I'm, I'm not sure if it was even that simple, but it, did you realize you, were, you had to relearn this stuff?
3: It was weird. It felt like I knew I needed to, but yeah. my body, like I, I couldn't. Okay. So obviously I had to. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: even with speaking, oh. I remember him saying, like, he wanted to respond. You know what right. I mean? Like, we would see right. other. He wanted to respond. It just, there was a disconnect there. He just, he knew he wanted to, be. he just couldn't do it. It just wasn't possible. Um,
4: so, that, I mean, that, that's a good point, because I, I think there's a lot of, there's probably, and obviously, I've never been through it, but there must have been some frustration. And, and I'm assuming that th- these places, Spalding and Boston, they had, I don't know if they even called therapists that talked you through like yes, you're gonna be frustrated, work through like like there's gotta be like you said, a team. There has to be people mentally, physically. I mean, there's gotta be people every day, all all, all over the place, and, and and what incredible work they do to be able to to, to get you from where you're talking to seeing this man. Thank God he's wearing a New England Patriots uh shirt. <laughs> but <laughs> if it was like the, the Yankees or, or, or the Jets, we might have a different conversation. But <laughs> but it, it, it's just amazing and and talk 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 us a little through like like just the, the, the mental part of it where the frustration but you had I'm assuming you had the support and you felt that. Is that is that accurate?
3: Oh yeah. I feel like I never really got too frustrated with it okay i mean like maybe throwing the ball a certain way walking was a little difficult and i was getting a little frustrated by that because it's something i knew how to do yep but basically i wouldn't do it okay it's like getting there but i knew i had to get there and it wasn't just gonna be like a snap of a finger yeah like work my way back so i knew I was like okay it's gonna be slow but it's, it's gonna get i'm gonna get there
4: and I'm sure your mom was in the corner and she's like, you know what I went through to get you to here? You better take that extra
3: step. <laughs>
1: you know, I just kept looking at it. I kept saying to him, like, this is your job right now.
0: Yeah. You know, you would exactly.
1: be in your senior high school, you'd be doing this, but this is your job. You're going to get up and you're going to do your PT and your OT and your speech and you're going to work on these things. And that's right now, that's your only thing you need to focus on.
2: Right. And it, and it must've so, been so, so hard. guys. ahead, Steve.
0: Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, yes. Yeah, so Sadie. Speaking of uh, therapy, how about those journal entries? Those must have been so therapeutical for you, getting you through this whole thing, realizing how much progress you're making.
1: Yeah. Um, th- yeah. I think that I, at the time I didn't realize that they, they absolutely were therapeutic. Um, you know, once Corbin was stable, um, I would sit down and I would write. Um, and they were just, they're just, they're really raw, you know, yeah. um, I think there was a lot of spelling errors. It was, I I had been up for hours and hours and, um, it was just how I felt, you know, and what I was dealing with. Um, and then I think the hardest part with all of it was when I wrote the book, basically what I did is I would take a journal entry and then elaborate because, you know, I wasn't sharing all of the personal things going on with my family and other things around me. Um, and I was trying to keep it really positive. Um, kind of, you know, that was the attitude I had and I was trying to put that out there too. Um, but when I went to write the book and I had to reread them all,
4: yeah.
1: um, you know, less than a year later, that was very painful. That was very, very hard. I remember I went to therapy to write the book <laughs> cause right. you know, I, I had made I, Todd and I had met and we started talking about writing the book together and, um, obviously he's an author so he knows what he's doing and um it, there was a few times where he was like we got to do this we're not doing this I was just taking so long because I was I almost didn't want to do it I didn't it was too painful to reread it I right. was still we just gotten home you know Corbin had like 10 therapy appointments a week we were in Boston at least once a week you know life was just crazy and we're trying to get used to this new life um and then having to you know reread those and do it again um but I, but I'm so glad that
4: I did. Right, and because you know what, it it I'm it, um, now it, looking back on it. How many people probably have read it, and, and you know what I mean? Like you're helping other people. Both you guys, inspirational wise, um, mom, you know the family side of it. You know what they're gonna go through, or not not know, but at, you have some guidance to be like, okay, listen, this person did it this way. You know, and, and and they can use you guys as as this 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 uh, guiding light sort of type of thing. Um, what's what's it what's it like now? Like what what's your daily routine? I, I, I'm assuming you're still going through stuff, Corbin, and 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 what's it? What's it, how, where are you at at this point?
3: Um, right now I'm kind of working towards getting my license back. Okay, and then working again. Hopefully
4: soon. Awesome, awesome.
3: But yeah, that's pretty much my day to day. I'm not doing a whole lot. Yeah, a lot of rest still.
4: But yeah, awesome,
2: awesome. It's gonna yeah, it's still gonna take a lot of time. Obviously, your 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 therapy continues. You've you've been through a huge journey. Yep. And uh, Sadie, like you said, what I was thinking of as you were talking about reading your journal and writing the book, um, just how much PTSD you must have been dealing with. At, at that point, and and knowing you would have to do it again, like reliving it must have been so painful, but yet therapeutic in some ways. And again, knowing you were helping, knowing the book would help others in a, in a similar situation, knowing you relied on the support of others throughout your entire experience and your journey and getting to the other side, it, it was, again, that... Courage it took for you to deal with that PTSD. Um, that's something that I look at and I'm amazed by. You know, because you, you not only did you deal with one of the you know the, the parents' worst nightmare mm. in itself, but to have to go through it again to get where where you are today is uh, again just very inspirational. And um, you know, I I can just say thank you for. Uh, doing that, what you what you did, and I'm sure you're helping so many other families and so many other people in, in that situation. So, um, congratulations for sort of getting through that. That must have been extremely tough, but you made it through.
1: Yeah, it 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 was it was tough. I think that maybe you know if I'd waited a few years, it might have been a little easier. But right. um, it was still so fresh, also that. Uh, You know, I just, I think, like I said, it just came down to, I wanted to do the same for other people that they did for me. You know, I wanted to give somebody hope and let them know that it can come out okay and not to give up and to stay positive, um, to share what I did, um, you know, to let people know you have a choice. Somebody, you know, you have a choice. You go to a hospital and they say, you know, they're fine or they're not fine or this is what. You have a choice to say, "I don't want them here. I want them somewhere else." You you get to make that choice, and I didn't know that at the time. And so, you know, I learned so much through it. Like I said, and so many people helped me and inspired me through it and kept me going. That I just, you know, it was worth it to hopefully do the same for at least a few other people.
2: Right, right, and we I, I just t- you know, we talked about pain there and and persevering through <laughs> adversity, um, but. Can you describe the, the day that Corbin left the, um, the Spalding rehab? Because I think that that probably was um, one of the brightest lights you could have had in, 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 the, whole, in the whole journey at that point. Like just going from the accident to Corbin leaving Spalding and going home. I mean, what was that like to feel that you had made it to that point where Corbin was going home? Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, it felt like I had lived like a lifetime nightmare, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it just felt like it been so long. Um, and it really felt surreal. Um, it felt, it was a lot of feelings. Um, it definitely felt surreal. It was, you know, something that I had I really wanted, obviously, and had been fighting for for so long. Um, but you never really know, you know what I mean? I, you know, I never really knew until spaulding and he started to get better um in one sense it felt like when you bring it i remember when i brought corbin home for the hospital like he's my first and i was petrified i was like i don't i should how are you gonna give this baby to me and i'm responsible and i don't know what the heck i'm doing <laughs> right,
0: right. I'm a
1: wolf, you know what i mean uh it's not trying to keep a plant alive so i was and i felt that way when i took him home um he was on so many medications um mm. you know we had to give him a special bed and we did all these things and i was like I was scared again to bring him home and make sure that I didn't have, I had had a nurse in the room with me all this time. So if there was a question or anything happened, I had somebody right there with me. Just like when you have a baby at a hospital Um, and to go home and be like, no, now he's my responsibility by myself. Um, So it was really scary at the same time. Um, His, the day he came home was absolutely incredible. Um, The same cousin who had told me to move him to a different hospital, just had so many people reach out and um there was a, a huge homecoming parade for him they met us probably about 30 miles from home on the highway and um <laughs> we did this whole tour there was a bunch of cars following us the tow truck that towed the car from the accident the ambulances that brought him to the hospital um they put it out there and so as soon as we got close to our town we we're getting off the highway from the bridge ahead of time people were lined on the streets. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And we did, um, we did like a tour around all the schools that he went to, his high school, middle school, elementary school, all the kids were outside with signs cheering for him. Um, it was, there were signs like everybody's business signs, you know, said, welcome home Corbin. And it was, it was mind blowing.
2: Well, that's, that's, that's great community, uh, right there. And again, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, New Hampshire, um, you know, it's, Steve, Scott, and I have spent a lot of time in New Hampshire. When when you mentioned even uh, July 4th and, and going down the river, tubing, we, we've we done that. We've been there on July 4th. We've gone down the river there, and we spent a lot of time, whether it's North Conway or Lincoln or um, just, you know, New Hampshire is such a—it's a, a beautiful place. It's God's country, and having that community involvement must have meant so much to you at that point. And again, just lifting you up at the time when you needed it most, and and being able to experience that, and then moving forward from there, that must have meant the world to you.
1: Oh, it absolutely did. Um, To this day, it's still—I'm in amazement by it. Um, Especially, like I said, I wasn't uh, wasn't out there a lot. I didn't, you know, people knew who I was from, you know, bartending or something like that. You know, it's a small town I grew up here, but. I was a very private person, so to have that many people come out that really don't even know us, right. um, mm-hmm. it just, yeah, it was, uh, it really kept us going.
2: Absolutely, and just being on this podcast, and again, thank you uh, for being here and other podcasts and writing the book, and as you said, being a private person in general, but then uh, knowing how much it meant for all of the support from people you didn't even know and then saying well now i have to give back and tell the story and inspire somebody else whether it's through the book or the podcast and obviously we're promoting the book here today on the podcast i haven't read it yet but it's definitely a summer read for me um just listening to you today uh talk about your experience and just as parents as those who love new hampshire as those who love Boston and, and being from this area. You know, I can't, rate, I can't wait to read the book and, and, and just be inspired by your story. So again, uh, thank you for being here today to talk to us about it.
1: Well, thank you for having us. I think that, um, you know, the goal with doing these things is, you know, similar to what you just said. Hopefully somebody hears it that knows somebody you know, that's, that's been through it or, or it's, you know, you keep that in your back pocket. So God forbid something does happen. You know, you remember that let's check this out or reach out to them. And, um, you know, and like, I've never turned anybody down that's reached out to me. Um, right. I've even had people say to me, you know, I had a woman who was in hospice and she said, you know, I was, I'm ready to give up. She goes, but after this story and reading it, she's like, I'm I'm not giving up. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be your child. It doesn't have to be a car accident. It can be lots of different things, um, you know, but that positive attitude and whatnot, hopefully, uh, hopefully it reaches as many people as possible.
2: Well, your story is about hope. It's about courage, and it's about perseverance. And in the end, um, you know, it, it tells uh, such a beautiful story. And, and again, thank you uh, for being here today because, you know, our motto, again, is never stop getting it. And you epitomize that motto. For both of you. And so thank you both for being with us today on the podcast. We truly appreciate it. Oh,
1: absolutely. We're happy. Thank you for having us. Thank
0: you. Yes. Sadie, Corbin, such an inspirational story. It's going to get to a lot of people. And I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. And again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And of course, Corbin, thank you for never stop getting it. And we'll talk to you later. Appreciate it so much. Thank Thank you. All right, guys. Yep, We'll talk to you later. Bye.